ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's too good to pass up. Uh, on Tuesday morning at about 4.53 a.m., there was a burglary. Some people took a nice white work van that they had acquired somewhere in some way, and they backed it through the large window of a convenience store, picked up the ATM located inside and loaded it into the back of the van. Around this time, my son Daniel decided to wake up. He normally gets up about once a night. That's normal. So when he wakes up soon for a second time, something was wrong and we felt like he wasn't feeling good. So I got up to give him some medicine and I went to grab my phone from the kitchen to use as a light. And as I'm walking, you know, at 5.15 in the morning, I'm like, I wonder if God has my son waking up in the middle of the night because I need to look at my phone. And I grab it and I look down and there's this text message that came in two minutes earlier saying that the burglary alarm in this building is going off with multiple motion detections and that the police have been called. And I go, okay. And as I'm, I'm putting Daniel back down, I get a phone call from the police that I answer. And they say we had to, the, a, a vehicle burned up in your parking lot. The building's okay, but we need you to come secure the building. <laughs> Silly me. I thought that meant to just come lock the doors and set the alarm on. Well, I was up. And so I, I drove down and my plans to get a good night's sleep were interrupted. See, I wasn't the only person with plans that got interrupted that day. These men had a plan. Take the ATM, cut it open, take the money, and spend it on who knows what. And so they pulled into our parking lot, and they proceeded to take some sort of grinder to the ATM inside their white van. I don't know if you guys can imagine any potential scenarios that could go wrong right now with this idea. But after three seconds, and only three seconds, a fire got lit inside of their van. And from three seconds to the next six minutes, the flames consumed the entire vehicle, and these men ended up running away with nothing but a bag. And they lost their van, and they lost all the money in the ATM. They lost everything, and the fire, within about 20 minutes, completely ate up the van. So if you're wondering why there's some windows boarded up and there's some scrapes in our parking lot, this is what happened. And I'm happy to show you the very entertaining video during potluck. (laughs) But you know, my plans were interrupted, their plans were interrupted. And I don't know if you guys have ever had a situation in your life where your carefully laid plans seem to go up in smoke. Maybe you got stuck in a job far longer than you ever thought you'd stay at that job. Maybe it's a relationship that didn't quite go the way that you thought it would go. Maybe you're in an area of town that has soured over time and you're looking to to move. But in all of the complexities of life, that is, this is my idea of what was going to happen and this is what actually happened. The question does arise, where is God in all of this? And I think it's that question that is particularly well answered in the story from the Bible this morning, Genesis chapters 29 through 32. We're traveling along in a life of a guy named Jacob. If you're not familiar with Jacob, his name means deceiver, trickster. He literally came out of the womb grabbing his brother's heel. And nothing changed the rest of his life. Isn't he rightly named trickster, deceiver? 
And so Jacob, when he grew up, he managed to trick his older brother for selling, to sell his birthright for a pot of stew. And then later, along with his mom, he deceives his blind old father into giving him the blessing. But Jacob's decisions have come back on him, and he had to run away because his older brother at this point is planning on killing him. It's not the first time in the book of Genesis we've seen an older brother want to kill his younger brother. It didn't go very well last time, so Jacob's going to get out of town. And Lisa last week, oh, uh, we'll get there. But let me give you a little warning. This is where we're going. It's a large story. It's an amazing story, and we're going to be going through most of it because I want to. This is awesome. But here's, here's the structure. All right, Jacob comes to Laban, and he strikes a bargain. And then at the end, Jacob will leave Laban, and they're going to strike a covenant. In between those, we have Laban deceiving Jacob. Jacob is going to deceive Laban. And then right in the middle, we have these two stories about Jacob's family growing and Jacob's wealth growing. And guys, let me tell you what, this is the stuff of ancient Israelite soap operas. All right, you thought your family dynamics come the holiday season was messed up. Let me tell you what. Actually, it might be more messed up than this. I don't know. (laughs) But this is up there. This is at least seven out of the 10 on the dysfunctional scale, all right? But through it all, we're going to see this truth that God is faithful to keep his promises despite and sometimes even through human evil and machinations. I just love that word. It means schemes or plots through, through what we're devising. All right, God is going to be faithful and he will use even what we mean for evil and he's going to make it good or bring good out of it, I should say. Now, in chapter 28, Jacob is on his way out of the land. He stops for the night because it's dark. He's poor and he has nothing with him. So he takes a rock to use for a pillow and he has this dream where he sees a stairway going from earth up into heaven and the angels of God are going up and down on it. And God appears to Jacob and he tells him, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I'm going to give to you and your descendants the land on which you're living. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, too many to count. And you're going to spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all people on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. This is a repeat of God's promise to Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, and to Isaac, Jacob's dad. And then God says, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. This is a key idea for the story this morning. God says, I'm going to watch over you. I will not leave you until I've done everything that I've promised you. So we begin our story this morning. Now, Jacob continued on his journey. He's a lone wanderer headed to find his uncle somewhere out there in a city called Haran before Google Maps existed. And he came to the land of the eastern peoples, and there he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. And the stone over the mouth of the well was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. And they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. So there's a lot of detail about this watering hole. But we've been in the book of Genesis. And the last time we heard a story about someone leaving the promised land to find a wife at a well, good things happened. And we heard a story about someone who labored long and hard to water some animals. I wonder what we're going to hear this time. 
Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? Meaning, I'm lost. Please help. (laughs) We're from Haran, they replied. That's good news. This is where Jacob is trying to go. And so he said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yeah, we know him, they replied. He needs a little bit more to go on than that. So he asks, "Uh, is he well? Yeah, he is. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. If you didn't know, Laban's daughters, Jacob was sent to go marry one of them. Here comes one now. Look, Jacob says, as Rachel is on his way. See, he knows something about sheep. He says, the sun's still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep, take them back to pasture. Devin, I don't know how you react when strangers tell you how you should do your job. These shepherds decide to say, oh, we we can't until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we'll water the sheep. This is a four shepherd stone at least. So we're going to just hang out here. Well, while he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. For she was a shepherd. And when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and he rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well. I mean, he just does this heavy lift all by himself. uh, And he watered his uncle's sheep. In the previous story, it was a girl named Rebecca who watered a bunch of camels. Now we have the guy doing the hard work watering his uncle's sheep. And Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep out loud. And he told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. And she ran and told her dad. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. And he embraced him and he kissed him and he brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. I mean, we wonder exactly what all these things entailed. Did you tell your uncle that you tricked your dad and lied to him? and tried to be your older brother, and got his blessing. Like, maybe some details were left out of the story. Well, whatever happened, Laban tells him, you are my own flesh and blood. Like, your family, we're we're birds of a feather. We're just alike, us two. And the story from here on out is going to show just how ironic a statement that really is. Yeah, because Laban is just like Jacob. Oh boy, get ready. Well, after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, hey, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters, and the name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but mm, Rachel, she had a lovely figure, and she was beautiful. And so Jacob was in love with Rachel, and he says, I will work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, well, it's better that I give her to you than some other man, so stay here with me. And so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. And all God's people said, ah, it's so sweet. And it is, it is. See, Jacob's mom said, go stay with my brother for a few days until your brother's anger dies down. And he does, seven years, but they only feel like a few days. Things are going according to plan. He found the girl. He's going to get the girl. What could go wrong? Well, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. A few days, but still seven years. Like, I want to make love to her. 
And so Laban brought together all the people of the place and he gave a feast, a big wedding party. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave him his servant uh, Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. And when morning came, there was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And Laban replied, oh, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter to mar- in marriage before the older one. Oh, Jacob, you who deceived your blind father into putting the younger one ahead of the older one, how does it feel to be deceived when you can't see to have the older one put in place of the younger one? And Jacob's antics are coming back upon his own head. And Laban says, we'll finish this daughter's bridal week and we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban also gave his servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her attendant. And Jacob made love to Rachel also. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, like you might imagine. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Do note, the narrator does not tell us those next seven years felt like only a few days. And when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, and Rachel remained childless. So the inability to have kids continues to be this theme that's developed through this book of Genesis. And Leah became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. It's a proper name, Reuben but we might in English say like Jacobson because it means see a son is what his name means. Now that I've borne him a child, my son, my husband will actually love me. And she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. And she named him Simeon. It means heard. My dad made a joke growing up that he had kids because slaves are illegal. And then he said, and I had more than one because the first one didn't turn out too well. As a second child, I appreciated that. See, it was funny when my dad said it, but it's sad to hear it from Leah. The first boy didn't cut it. She's still not loved. Maybe now with baby number two. Again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last, my husband will become attached to me. First two didn't work. Because I've borne him three sons. And so he was named Levi, attached. And she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Just rejoicing. And she named him Judah, means praise. And she stopped having children. Now, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. And she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Be careful what you wish for, Rachel. Those words may come back to haunt you. And Jacob became angry with her. He says, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? What do you want me to do? Uh, And you thought 
you know, your family dinners were complicated. And then she said, well, here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so she can bear children for me and I can build a family through her. The surrogacy option. And all God's people like facepalmed themselves and said, oh, this is a really bad idea. Because Jacob's grandfather, Abram, and his wife Sarai had a plan that involved an Egyptian slave girl and it didn't go too well. I wonder what's going to happen this time through. And so she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her. She became pregnant, bore him a son, and Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He's listened to my plea and given me a son. And so she named him Dan, vindication. So Rachel, for the time being, claims this child as her own. For the time being. And Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I've won. And so she named him Naphtali, struggle. Not to be outdone, when Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah says, what good fortune. And she named him Gad, fortune. And Leah's servant Zilpah bore him a second son. And Leah said, how happy I am. All the women are going to call me happy. So she named him Asher, happy. So for the time being, Leah is acknowledging these surrogate sons as her own. I wonder how long that's going to last. Now, (laughs) during the wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the field and he found some mandrake plants. And he brought them to his mother, Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. And she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes also? This was this very confusing story in the Bible for me until I found one of my grandfather's pharmaceutical books. Because, yes, mandrake is the appropriate translation. But if you've never seen a mandrake plant, this doesn't make a lot of sense. So let me show you. This is a picture from one of the old books. A mandrake plant, it's this hallucinogenic plant, the the roots of which look very, very eerily like a human. That's a mandrake root. Those are mandrake roots. It's creepy, all right? And so for centuries or thousands of years, people have used them in witchcraft and fertility. I don't know what Rachel's plan is but she's going to strike a bargain. Very well, Rachel says. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. And and so when Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him and she says, you must sleep with me. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And so he slept with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah says, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar, wages. You know, it says God listened to you, Leah, not that God is rewarding you for giving away your slave girl. Oy, this is a mess. And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah says, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time, my husband will treat me with honor. I don't know if she just gave, a, gave up on the whole loving thing, but maybe my husband will honor me. 
because I've borne him six sons. And so she named him Zebulun, honor. And sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Well, then God remembered Rachel and he listened to her and he enabled her to conceive and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she said, God has taken away my disgrace. And so she named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. Joseph, his name means, may he add, like, good start, I need another one, <laughs> like right from the get-go. You're not enough, son, but you're a good start. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. So apparently the 14 years have come to an end. Jacob now has, uh, he meant to ha have one wife. He now has four. He has 11 kids and uh, his family dynamics are a complete mess. He says, it's, I'd like to go home now. Thank you. But Laban said to him, well, if I have found favor in your eyes, not exactly sure how that would happen after what you did to him, Laban. But if I found favor in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He says, name your wages and I'll pay them. And we, the readers go, Laban, we've heard you say this before and it didn't go super great. But Jacob says, you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. Jacob does know how to take care of sheep. He says, the little you had before I came has increased greatly. The Lord has blessed you wherever I've been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you? He asked. Oh, don't give me anything, Jacob replied. If you'll do this one thing, I'll go on watching your flocks for you. And so Jacob makes this deal. He says, let me go take all of the less desirable sheep, the one that have streaks and spots and stripes, and they'll be my wages. So all of the nice looking sheep will be yours and the less nice looking sheep will be mine. And it's going to be really easy for you to check. If you show up and look at my flocks and there's any like pure, pristine white sheep there, you know that it belongs to you. And Laban says, that sounds great. Let it be as you said. However, that same day, Laban took all those less nice looking sheep, gave them to his other sons and sent them off a three-day journey into the distance, essentially removing any possibility that Jacob would be earning wages anytime soon. He cheats Jacob again, and Jacob continues to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Now, not to be outdone, Jacob, he has a plot, he has a plan. See, with his brother Esau, there's a story that involves some wordplay. Jacob used some red stew to trick his brother who's red and hairy. And so with his uncle, whose name is Laban, Jacob takes some branches and carves white strips in them. And the Hebrew word for white is Laban. There's a word play. And so he has this idea. So whenever the flocks come to drink water and they're in heat, he puts these boards in the watering trough in front of the eyes of the, the sheep. And when they see these stripes, they give birth to striped young. People have tried this. No one else has gotten the same result that Jacob got, but it worked for him. It worked for him. And so when all the strong of Laban's flock were in heat, Jacob would put the boards in and he would have all of the offspring from them. And then whenever the weak ones were in heat, Jacob's like, help, 
hard pass. And he just pulls it. And so the weak sheep went to Laban and the strong sheep went to Jacob. And in this way, uh, here we go. And so the weak animals went to Laban, the strong ones to Jacob. And in this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous. He came to own large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. Life is going quite well. I mean, he's hustling and he's hustling hard, but it's working for him. Now, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything that our father owned. He's gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been, jealousy being what it is. Doesn't matter if you're getting richer, if the other guy is getting richer faster, life ain't okay. Well, then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where he was. And he said to them, I see what your father's attitude towards me is. Uh, It's not what it was before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know, I've worked for your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages 10 times. So apparently Laban didn't give up on trying to cheat Jacob out of everything he possibly could. I don't know if you ever had an employer like that or not. And yet Jacob says, however, God did not allow him to harm me. He says, if, if Laban would say, you know, the speckled ones will be your wages, then the flocks gave birth to speckled. And if Laban said, well, the striped, well, then they gave birth to striped. God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. And once in breeding season, I had a dream. I looked up and I saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked. They were speckled. They were spotted. And the angel of God says, hey, Jacob, I said, here I am. He says, look up, see. All the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. All right. So Rachel and Leah, they hear the story and they respond. Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he's used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Everything you see is ours. So do whatever God has told you to do. So Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods that he had accumulated in Padan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. It's been 20 years since he left. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. It's a weird detail in the story. Why'd you do that? And Jacob deceived Laban, or or literally Jacob stole the heart of Laban. He tricked him, but both Rachel and Jacob are stealing from Laban by not telling him that he was running away. And so he fled with all that he had. He crossed the Euphrates River and he headed for the hill country of Gilead. And on the third day, Laban was told Jacob had ran away. So he took his relatives with him and he pursued Jacob for seven days and he caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. And just as Laban is having thoughts of what he's going to do to Jacob, something happens. God comes to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and says, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Doesn't mean don't talk to Jacob, but be careful what you say. Neither good nor bad. 
And my best guess at why God says this is because there was a promise made to a man named Abraham. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And God is telling Laban, do not speak good because I don't really want to bless you, Laban. But don't curse him either because I don't really want to curse you. Let's go the middle road and, and you can just leave. It's a good thing. So Jacob pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him and Laban and his relatives camped there too. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You've deceived me. How does it feel? And you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why do you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing and music of timbrels and harps? I throw a great party, you know. You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing, and I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. A God got involved, and that changed everything. Now you've gone off because you long to return to your father's household. I get that. But why did you steal my gods? And Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid. I thought that you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anything, anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. Without realizing what he said, Jacob just doomed his favorite wife to death. What's going to happen? He says, in the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there's anything of yours here with me. And if so, take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. And so Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two female servants. But he found nothing. And after that, he came out of Leah's tent, and he entered Rachel's tent. Oh, now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle, and she was sitting on them. And Laban searched through everything in the tent, but he found nothing. And Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord. I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period and so he searched, but he could not find the household gods. Now, this is not the main point of the story, but I once had a classmate come giggling to me because he says, these people are worshiping statues that are supposed to bless them and bring good things into their life. But not only have the gods been stolen, they're being sat on by a woman having her period, which is the ancient Israelite way of just completely slamming these stupid statues. They are impotent and powerless to do anything. It's just funny. So, now Jacob is angry and he took Laban to task. What is my crime? He asked Laban. How have I wronged you that you have hunted me down? And now that you have searched through all of my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and have them judge between the two of us. I've been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats, they haven't miscarried. I haven't eaten rams from your flock. I didn't bring you animals that were torn by wild beasts. I had to bear the loss myself. <laughs> Laban is not a fun guy to work for. He says, you demanded payment from me for anything that was stolen by day or night. And this was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime, the cold at night, sleep fled from my eyes. And it was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your daughters and six years for your flocks. And you changed my wages 10 times. And if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, interesting title that, had not been with me, you surely would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil in my hands, and last night he rebuked you. And Laban answered Jacob, 
The women are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. God got involved. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or the children they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between me, between us. And so Jacob took a stone, he set up as a pillar, and he says, let's make a, pound of, a, a pile of rocks. And so they made a big pile. Laban called it Jegar Sahadutha. Jacob called it Galid. One is Aramaic, one is Hebrew, and they both mean the heap of witness. And so Laban said, this heap between us is a witness. And that's why it's called Galid and, witness, and uh, Mizpah. May the Lord keep watch between you and me when we're away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters... Or if you take any wives besides my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember, God is a witness between you and me. Laban also said, here's the heap. Here's the pillar I have set up between you and me. Sorry, we're just going to fact check Laban here for a second. Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Laban says, this is the pillar that I have set up. Just tells you a little bit about where Laban's at right now. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness. I'm not going to go past this to harm you. You're not going to go past this to harm me. May the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. And so Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. And he offered a sacrifice and, they, and made a feast. And they ate there and they spent the night. And early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters. He blessed them and he left and he went home. And Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Which brings us to the end of our passage this morning. Because when Jacob left the promised land, he encountered the angels of God. And now that he's on his way back in, on the border of this promised land, he encounters God's angels. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Again, we see peace is made between enemies through God's chosen one making a sacrifice and making an offering, a covenant brings peace. We also, again, here's, here's what we saw. All right, Jacob comes to Laban and they strike a bargain. Jacob leaves Laban, they strike a covenant. Laban deceives Jacob, Jacob deceives Laban. And in the middle, these stories of Jacob's family and his wealth growing. And even though every, it seems like every person in this story is doing the wrong thing, Somehow, some way, the right thing seems to happen. And we realize that God is watching over Jacob and keeping his promise. I will bless you. I will make you fruitful. I will multiply you and your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. And you know, 11 kids is not a bad start. Despite the fact that it came in just, just about the worst way possible. This is one of the ways the biblical authors try to teach us. They don't come out and say marrying multiple women is, is against the law. They come out and they present you, these are what, this is what happens when you marry sisters. So later in the Mosaic Covenant, it will be explicitly laid out, don't marry sisters, it's a bad idea. We see that God is the one who provides life and blessing. Idols can't help themselves nor anyone else. We see that God is just and the consequences of our decisions often come back to haunt us. Just as Jacob deceived his blind father, and tricked him. You know, the voice was Jacob's, but the hands were Esau's. So Jacob, at a time that he can't see, is tricked to take the older one instead of the younger one. And later in his life, next week, we'll see this again. What Jacob did in the past will come back on his own head to haunt him. And, and the strife 
that we see in his family that's beginning now is going to continue through Jacob's children, grandchildren, and to the tribes of Israel. This family is one hot mess. God, how in the world are you going to bless all the nations of the world through this, these kind of people? Yet God is faithful to keep his promises despite and even through human evil and schemes. God is, God is at work and the right things are happening with the wrong reasons. And what human beings are mean, meaning for evil, God is using for good. So family of grace, to respond to this crazy story, let me just start with, please don't live like this. This is not an example for us to follow. Later on in the Mosaic Covenant, it will be really explicit that a lot of the things we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob doing is expressly against the law. It's a bad idea. So don't lie, tell the truth, don't cheat, be honest, don't scheme, trust God. To be fair to Jacob, he's got one thing going for him, and that is that he recognizes that everything he has comes from God. His wives say everything here is ours. His father-in-law says everything you see is mine. And Jacob says, God has been with me and has provided for me everything that I own. So kudos to Jacob. He gets some stuff right. But please don't live like this. You guys ever had a plan that fell apart, that went up in flame and smoke faster than you knew what hit you? Now, hopefully not like Jacob, nor like these guys in the parking lot on Tuesday. I really sincerely hope it wasn't that bad, and maybe it was. You woke up with the wrong woman, and the life was changed. But we do know what it's like to work and labor long and hard at something, to find someone else to take the credit for it to be cheated, to realize that the person that we thought we were uh, getting, marrying and, and forming a relationship with is not, is not the person they once were. We know what it's like to be stuck in a dead-end job. We know what it's like to feel like life is crazy and our family is crazy and we are part of the problem. We don't know how to fix it. And I feel like through it all, how, where in the world is God in all of this? And the lesson from the story of Jacob is that God is, is actually here, keeping watch, taking care of his people. And no matter how messed up things might get, he is still with us and we can trust him. I had a friend who was stuck in a job. He was a caregiver at the kind of care facility that they make office sitcoms about. It was really, really caustic. It was really, really destructive. And he stayed at that job for about three or four years too long. Not because he wanted to, but he felt like God had him there for the sake of the residents because it wasn't their fault that the management company was awful. I know people who have been in a relationship and sometimes the person makes a choice and then you have to decide to reconcile and sometimes just life happens. I was uh, really impressed by a story about a guy, his wife contracted Alzheimer's. And after a couple years, friends and family are telling him, you should divorce her and move on. She's not your wife anymore. And he says, no, I, I made a promise in sickness and in health. And he stayed faithful. And he, became, he left his job, he became her full-time caregiver for over a decade until she finally passed away. I know people who have really messed up families. I don't know if any of yours compete with Jacob's. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in Portland and you just can't leave. 
Maybe you're fighting a health problem, and it just seems like, God, what in the world are you doing? I know even in the last week and a half, I'll have to confess, I have found myself feeling impatient with God. Will you not bring about these things that I'm asking you about? And we're going through the book of Genesis, and that's helpful for me because I read that Abraham had to wait 25 years for the promised son. Isaac and Rebekah were barren for 20 years. Jacob is stuck wandering away from home for 20 years. And I go, and here I think it's going to happen in like two weeks. I'm an American. Of course I think it's going to happen in two weeks. It should happen in two weeks. God, what is your problem? And then I'm reminded that he's still in control. And he has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I think it's a good example of what we see in the story of Jacob. Things can be really, really messed up, and it doesn't mean that God is not active and he's not working. Paul tells the church in Rome that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose, which means somehow, some way, don't ask me to explain it. This is, I'm taking it on faith, that that burning van in the parking lot is somehow going to be used for good. Maybe because it grows my patience a little bit more. Maybe because it, it will help us as a church to realize that this neighborhood, this city, needs Jesus really, really badly. And that no matter, no matter the laws that are passed, if people's hearts aren't changed, nothing different will happen. I didn't get to watch the news because the guy said, if you, could, if you could tell those people um, who did this, if you could say anything, what would you want to tell them? And I said, I'd tell them that they need Jesus more than the money that they think that they're going to solve the problems with. And I talked to the newscast, and then, of course, they didn't show any of that. <laughs> like, I think they barely mentioned that it was a, a church that the, the van went up in flames at. But, you know, I tried. I tried. Yet, somehow, someway, this will even work for good. Somehow, someway, whatever happened at Thanksgiving, whatever is going to happen at Christmas, whatever is going on in your life right now, whatever you're dealing with, whatever health issue you're going on, this I hope you know God is with you, and he is for you, and he loves you, and he can be trusted. And so I hope this morning that we'll see that in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our chaos, in the middle of our struggles, that God is watching over us. Because he's good. And he's going to keep his promises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are gracious and you are good. You are holy and just. And God, thank you that you're in charge. <laughs> so we don't have to. God, we have our plans. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not so good. And we don't know it. Um, and so I thank you that you are the God who is supreme. And you rule over all, and you are going to take care of your people, whether we're acting foolishly or wisely. Father, may we trust in your son. May we follow after him and, and help us to make wise decisions um, so that we don't have to deal with all the consequences of our mess. But thank you for being so big and so good that you will use even our mistakes for your glory and our ultimate good. We just praise you 